competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet on the planet with your host paul murphy and expert coach nick nanavati Hey everybody, welcome back to part two with Chris Wright here talking about his Unari success, you know, dominating the continent of Australia. I'm going to go ahead and say it. My name is Paul Murphy, you got Nick Manavati here. Hey Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, doing great, man. Uh, Chris, thanks for going into everything you did in part one. Now here in part two, we're going to kind of talk maybe more about the the actual engagement on the table, about how, you know, you do you know plan to engage certain factions if there's a, you know, and we'll talk through a couple of templates, you know, like psychic power armor versus non-psychic power armor, Tyranids, you know, other uh, Eldari type builds. You know, we're going to go down a list of things. And also, if you can, along the way, weave in some things about maybe with some some stuff you've noticed from your opponents about maybe how, you know, maybe they could have played in X ways, you know, a little bit more aggressively, less aggressively targeted certain units of yours that, that would have given them some type of advantage in the games. I think that's always a kind of fun way to explore it as well, because I know that when I'm playing, I notice those things like, oh, they really should have done this or not let me gotten away with with being out there in the open or whatever. And if we can somehow relate that into the conversation, I think it'd be a, a big benefit to people listening. So uh, before we get real into it, Chris, I just need to let you know that this conversation in part one we had was so captivating. I literally took the five minute break we had in between the two parts, grabbed my Eldar Codex and I started rereading the Inari rules. Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. I, I hope you have a lot of fun with it. I mean, combat Eldar. This sounds right up my alley, so I'm I'm for it. I'm never really not making list. Yeah, I'm really curious to glean some information off you to how to actually win with this faction. So why don't we get into it? Uh, one one thing I should mention is um, this tournament was streamed um, in rounds five and six. I was on stream. Um, maybe we should have mentioned that in part one. Um, but it was uh, Scotty D. Um, uh, there might be a number following Scotty D. Um, get back to me in a second. I'll. Uh, yeah, Scotty D forty nine. Um, so you can find it on YouTube. Um, not sure if it's on YouTube. It's definitely on Twitch. Um, he may have uploaded to YouTube as well. Um, but yeah, so round five and six, you can see me playing uh, Tau and then Chaos Space Marines. Awesome. So yeah. definitely give those um, videos a watch if you can. We'll try to include the link in the description down below um, for those watching on YouTube. But Chris, why don't we start it off with uh, your strength of schedule, I guess. What did you play against in this tournament? Yep, so round one I played against uh, Grey Knights. Um, So this was uh, like 30 Interceptors, 25 Strikes, um, two Dread Knights, so one Grandmaster, one Regular, and um, a couple of Lip Librarians. So I was pretty worried about this matchup going in um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, we've talked about all the Mortal Wounds the army can do. Uh, Grey Knights have a five up feel no pain against mortal wounds across the board and everything can deny psychic powers. Um, so I was feeling my my psychic output or my mortal wound output would be very restricted. Um, and then just he's got all these units, like when he splits them up, 11 units of infantry, a couple of uh, dread knights and whatnot, all of them put out a high volume of dice um, and make, yeah, they can all kill my stuff really quickly. So yeah, I was I was pretty worried going into round one, to to be honest. Yeah, Green Knight seemed like a very tough matchup for you, actually, on paper. Uh, how did you navigate this one? So we were playing um, Data Scry Salvage, uh, and, I, and I went first. And I think I was able to use this to put myself into some really threatening positions. Um, so there was some decent mid-board terrain. I was able to sort of move my big Harlequin troop up closer to the center, 
um, push push along the top a bit, push along the bottom a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I don't think he was able to quite get the board position back in the game. Um, really just kind of you went first and were able to uh, control enough of the table that the, that was that translated to one right then and there, essentially. Um, yeah, so that would, that would be um, sort of exaggerating a little bit, but um, in, in short, that, that kind of thing happened. Um, he, he probably could have focused more on putting setting up his interceptors in spots where in the following turn they'd be able to threaten my top objectives, um, but I was sort of prioritising clearing that. He wasn't able to keep any, any uh, units up there safe. I think and, that, um, that's a... It's a loss condition I find that's exaggerated in data scry salvage because if someone goes first and gets onto the lot of the objectives, it's a domination style hold two, so they can really start to rack up twelves and eights while you're getting fours and zeros, and it can become overwhelming very quickly. Uh, is that basically the the pressure you put on the Green Knight player here, or was there more to it than that? Um, that was a, a good yeah good part of it. So I gave him zero for turns two, three, and four um, with with being able to push towards the bottom into spots where my units could get out and threaten his objectives. Um, this was one game where the Incarn um, did a really good job of distracting. I think this was a big part of it. So it might have been after his turn two, I teleported him forward, went and killed the Grandmaster with the, you know, once we game three up in Voln and whatnot. Um, but that was all the way down his long end of the table. And he focused a lot of resources on clearing the Incarn. Um because, yeah, as, as we talked about, you can't shoot anything else if you want to charge the Incarn. Um, and so a lot of his army was down that end of the table, and that really um, helped my plan of, of just maintaining board control um, and the, the objectives of the other side. Gotcha. So if you were uh, playing against Grey Knights again, or if you were playing as Grey Knights against your army, what would be some key features to think about in this matchup? Yeah, so I think the Grey Knights um, have the advantage in terms of, you know, how well the units um, trade and also don't even necessarily need to trade. Um, they can often just get free kills. So I think it's just about setting your units up in good positions. Um, so positions like out of line of sight but threatening objectives? Yeah, line of sight doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, that's that's not going to make much of a difference. Um, yeah, make sure you're threatening the objectives. And if they're close enough to my units where my units are going to be able to charge in, that's when you just got to be really careful about how you position things. So, you know, you might um, put one unit to screen and kind of wrap up another unit behind it. Um, you know, do do what you can to keep something alive in a, in a threatening position. Okay. So you said line of sight doesn't matter, which I found really interesting because Grey Knights do a decent amount of mortals at close range and a ton of bolter shots at 24. Uh, your army's not durable, durable. So bolters and mortals seem to add up against you, no? Uh, miscommunication there. Him being out of line of sight doesn't matter. Oh, I'm um, sorry. He doesn't, yes. Yes. he doesn't need to hide anything. Totes agreed. <laughs> Especially if um, he's got anything in cover or he's in the Tide of Shadows, like my Hawks with their AP0. Um, I just He's getting two ups on all his, all his Marines. Um, yeah, he, he really doesn't need to prioritize hiding. So, I mean, that's, that's challenging for you, and I guess this can be extrapolated similarly to like a Thousand Suns match, where they do... Potent firepower, which restricts where you can move. A lot of mortals, which restricts where you can move, because you don't want to get hit by that. You're very elite. And they don't have to respect where you, your firepower at all, because two up saves versus swooping hawks and stuff. So they have a huge mobility advantage because their spots that they can stand on the table are a lot more numerous than the spots that you can stand on the table. Whereas like your advantage is you can actually um, try to 
beat them in close combat and threat project all over the place with banshees and harlequin troops and things like that. How do you, I guess, going first lets you push up the middle of the board. Yes, is there a turn there that you're looking for to to capitalize on the momentum to not just be picked apart by their their mid-range stuff and be able to actually get in there and pick those units apart? Yeah, well said, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, so Grey Knights is really tough because they have so many of those units. Um, you know, if you're combat squatting everything and whatnot, that's a lot of threats for me to take out. Um, so it's really tough. Honestly, it's kind of on the Grey Knights player to make a mistake. Otherwise, they probably will make that win that matchup. Um, if they bunch a bunch of their units together, that's going to let one of my units kill multiple at once. Um, if they get a few things out of position, I might get some free kills. Um, yeah, and if they don't stagger units properly, then they might not be set up to... Um, counterpunch properly. So it's tough for the Grey Knights player, but um, if they play it right, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I think that's going to be really tough for me. Um, Thousand Suns is completely different, though, because Thousand Suns players tend to have those big 10-man Terminator bricks. Um, that's a lot better for, for me as the Inari player because um, I can kill a 10-man Terminator brick not as easily as I can kill five Interceptors, but it's it's not as different as you would think. Really? That's, um, that's so crazy so to hear. It's the a lot harder for them to keep those units insanity. sort of safe. Um, it's hard for them to put that unit in an effective spot while also um, far enough back that it's not being charged, while it's also sort of being maybe wrapped by something else. Um, so I, I can't charge the, the important unit behind it. Um, yeah, so if the Thousand Suns player gets their, their big Terminator brick into a, uh, a wrong spot, I'll be able to sort of pick that up. No worries. Okay, so it's almost like the more MSU, multiple small unit um, style is more challenging to you because like five Banshees or ten troops buffed up with all of your buffs um, stacked on will kill just about anything, like you said. So it's when that trade is inefficient for you to make is when you it starts to be a struggle. For sure. Um, one note, the Banshees don't benefit from the Harlequin buffs as much. Um, like the plus one to wound doesn't work on them because they already get that. Um, so they're, they're not going to kill a full... Um, 10-man Terminator squad or something, but the um, Harlequin troops on the other hand can. Okay. So let's keep going through your tournament. What did you play round two? Uh, round two was Chaos Space Marines. Word bearers. They're the five-up field no-pain guys, right? Yes, sir. This is great. I was actually hoping to get to Chaos Space Marines. I think there's a few different archetypes of Chaos Space Marines that are doing well. We'll definitely cover your Word bearers match, but I'd also like to hit Emperor's Children, which just won... Uh, Vic VJ, one of our war members, he just won the LGT Invitational at the time of this recording with Hemper's Children. And then uh, Fabius Bile and his creations have been murdering people, at least over here in the States. So I'm really curious to see how you approach each of these. Yeah, um, so Word Bearers is, is a little tough again. I don't like the five up feel no pain against Mortal Wounds army wide. Um, but so his army was sort of based around a couple big bricks. So he had a big 10 man um, Terminator brick, he had a big 10 man possessed brick. Um, then there were, you know, some characters, some smaller units um, and whatnot mixed in there. Um, one very nice thing is the Terminators were Slanesh, and um, that means you can re-roll hits and wounds against them. Um, so that's cool. Um, if you thought the Harlequin troops were doing well before. That's a, that's a random before. strat you just have access to, right? Eldar hates Slanesh for some reason. Bluff. Well, for, for, some for some reason. For some reason. For some reason. Some reason. There's Hang actual on. reasons. We're going to do a podcast on why Eldar Well, this is Slanesh. not Forge the Narrative, okay? This is Art of War. Well, that's what you thought, but, you know. Um, yeah, no, so um, that that is a big, big buff there. Um, the the ability to uh, 
you know, pump out a bunch of mortal wounds is really nice here. So when things got a bit close, fly some hawks over, do some mortal wounds, um, charge some troops in, do some mortal wounds, a bunch of psychic powers. And I was sort of using that to pick up most of the small units. Um, was able to, you know, throw a Harlequin troop in, decimate a bunch of Terminators. And then it was pretty much just the big possessed brick that he had heaps of buffs on um, and some characters left. That just wasn't enough to win him the game. So I was doing a bit of move blocking on the possessed. I was doing actually there's a lot of move blocking on the possessed. Um, but yeah, just sort of let them do their thing. They killed a lot, but you know, it, it didn't matter. That wasn't enough for him to win the game. Okay. So uh, I could definitely see how the the typical slenish Terminator break that everybody runs, it's because it's super durable. Getting full rerolls to hit and wound against it, maybe not the best thing. Um, but, you know, they do have the, I forget what it's called, but the Dark Apostle ability basically is transhitment. You can only be wounded on fours, and or sorry, hit on fours and no rerolls to hit. So that shuts down half of that strat. And then they're built in minus one to them with Black Rune of Damnation. And then, of course, with Delightful Agonies, they're just super durable in the first place. This is, like, 10 Terminators, Marcus Lenich with all the buffs, is one of the most challenging units in the game to try to attack. You said earlier your plan for someone who pushes in the middle is to just murder them. Is this one of those situations where your damage does fall short, or do you just... Um, so it didn't actually come up in this game. So with he actually deep-struck the Terminators. The buffs were f- focused on the possessed. Um, so that's where the minus one to wound relic was. That's where a lot of the um, spells and stuff were going. Um, deep struck in the Terminators, they made their charge, but then they were unbuffed, so I was actually able to just kill them easily. Um, if they had all their buffs on them, um, hmm, excuse me, um, I think I would have made sure I killed one of the two units. I don't think I can win a game where he has those two big bricks running around. Um, but I Terminators, yeah. Um, but if the buffs are on the Terminators, kill the possessed, vice versa. Um, I think I can deal with one brick. And when you say deal with, do you mean like accept that one brick is just walking around immortally and murdering something every turn, but you have so many units because you're playing Eldar and you're so much faster because you're playing Eldar that you can navigate the rest of the table while it controls the one zone it does? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, they're not obsec. Um, so, you know, you're really focusing. When when that's game plan, you got to really focus on killing their obsec units, kill their, their random stuff that they've got floating around the board. Um, and as you say, Eldar are fast enough to run around and do that. Um, yeah, and just, I don't know. Let, I, I think that's really reasonable. And honestly, my plan against Chaos, should I, I've not played that match, but should I is essentially kill everything but the Terminator brick and, and let it just have the middle. Who cares? Um, so let's talk about the other variations to Chaos, though. Um, the Emperor's Children create some unique challenges, as do Fabius Pyle. Let's start with Emperor's Children. They also have always strikes first, so multiple engagements make it hairy. They shoot which is unique to Chaos as far as this is like the only shooting chapter. Maybe Iron Warriors can also shoot. Um, and they have a lot of fight last, fight on death, that kind of stuff going on in their army, along with a lot of relatively fast threat ranges with Honor the Prince. So do these challenges pose anything unique to you, or do you think you kind of navigate it very similarly? I'd be lying if I said I'd given this any thought at all. Um, <laughs> so we'll go back to the whole... Um, where the list came from, it was pre-WTC, um, and Chaos Space Marine Codex wasn't out um, by WTC. Right. Um, I actually didn't didn't look at the CSM Codex till a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, I mean, fair enough. I think a lot of players who were at WTC are all in the same boat when we interviewed them on the channel or for the podcast or whatever. Like, so how's your CSM? I was like, I don't, I don't know what they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's a little bit like that. Um, yeah, no one's been running Emperor's Children in the tournaments I've been at. So, like, the first I've heard of what they do is literally you just running through their things. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to go in more detail if you want to just give it a cursory thought on level. You know, I always love to see like top players on the fly thinking through their plans just to see if that'll work if that'll not work where your head goes you know just give us your first impressions yeah my first impressions is that the focus would be on the mortal wounds that the army puts out um i'd be really looking to focus on chipping things away with with uh yeah the psychers and and charging things with um charging things with the troops and getting getting good amounts of of chip damage that way um look if they're shooting uh, Legion, that's fine because most of the time you're pretty well hidden. Um, I'm guessing they're not that quick. Is that correct? Uh, like their no- standard Space Marine speed, their Honor the Prince strat is one CP. You can auto advance six or change one of your two charge dice rolls to a six. So reliable deep strike and you know seven inch charge minimums. Auto advance six is really nice because a lot of their their shooting weapons are assault. Uh, if you go Sonic Blasters and Blastmasters and things like that on your Noise Marines, it's a MSU shooting army. It probably runs the Terminator brick like everybody else, and it's got excellent fight control because the characters uh, can spend two CP to make you fight last. They have access to six inch heroics, so you, it's hard to charge around them, and then they heroic six and then make you fight last. And then uh, they fight on death as well, the characters do. Yeah. Um, most of those things actually don't sound like too big an issue. Um, so the fight lasts um, from characters isn't that big a deal if you're really careful with how you use your banshees. Um, because Banshees make everything that they charge fight last. Um, actually, hang on. Like, you know, is it everything? Everything they're in engagement range of at the start of the fight phase. Um, fights last. Uh, yeah, actually, sorry, no, they, they would get the first fight. No, they, oh, they fight first, don't they? Yeah, I'm trying to remember all the rules as we go. Yeah, so be, fight first and make you fight last. Yeah, so that, that would be a problem. You'd certainly have to be... Um, very careful of that. So, how does the fight last work? Is that a stratagem that anyone yeah, can so use? So, it's it's pick a unit with an engagement range. It might be three inches of your, a character, and the characters all have access to the same one CP six inch heroic. So, the combo is basically you charge a unit, the character comes nearby, the character says you fight last, and the unit murders you. Yeah, so um, certainly uh, difficult to play around. If um, they get too close to you, um, that's where you'll start piling the mortal wounds on them. Um, so charging the character itself with uh, a Harlequin troop, the nine-man Harlequin troop is probably already enough mortal wounds to kill a character, but when you've already um, hit them with a bunch of psychic powers, that'd help. Harlequin troops, of course, great for charging characters because they can go through models and whatnot. Um, so that would be the plan for dealing with that if they get really close, if they're far away, you know, see if they've mispositioned. If they have a misposition, you probably just can't engage that section that's just the way it is um you might have to you know chuck a viper out there so the character has to heroic intervene towards the viper instead of um you have to go towards the closest model so you could end up in the wrong direction yeah very um that's a good use for viper you'd be you'd be be looking at at little little shenanigans like that um yeah those are the first things that come to my head Nice. I don't want to spend too much time on since you don't have experience with it, but appreciate your first thoughts. Um, last one, I'll just hit on uh, Fabius Biles Creations, more or less um, the, but, the most generic of the Chaos builds, at least in so straightforward. That, that, was my, that was my round six. Um, do you want to talk about it now? Oh, or do you oh, want to yeah. um, let's talk about now while we're on Chaos Space Marines, then we'll just keep on moving. This is the finals, actually. 
Yep, yep. So I, I did know more about what they do because um, so I was playing Josh Brody, who was on um, Creations of Bali. He's one of the top players around, so I'd certainly looked into uh, his list and what it did. Um, so, yeah, Fight on Death is a really big deal. Um, it's not as big as it sounds because quite often you throw your Eldar unit forward, it kills something, then dies anyway. Um, so the, the fact biggest that it's challenge, if I could throw my two cents in there, is like... What you want to do with Eldar is say, throw your five banshees, your Harlequin troop unit at a unit, kill the unit, take the objective, move block a little bit, and call it a day. What happens to that unit afterwards? Who cares? It's sacrificed. But because you're going to die in the fight phase of your own turn on the fight on death, you're not stealing the objective. You're just taking them off of it. So it's not you're taking, you're just removing, assuming you kill everything off of it. And there's no move block. So you lose a little bit of residual value. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly. It certainly hurts, um, and it particularly hurts when they're able to push into your lines um, and, you know, if they're able to do, like, three charges or multiple charges or whatever, they fight first somewhere, you get a free interrupted Dinari, but they still get to fight anyway when you kill them. Um, so it does hurt a lot, but I was able to really leverage the amount of mortal wounds the army does in that matchup. Um, so things like Possessed are a very big threat, but if you just chip away at them turn after turn with a bunch of mortal wounds, they get close, you hit them with a big, big um, swab of mortal wounds. Uh, yeah, that's that's a huge deal. Um, so that was a big part of how I was able to get up in that matchup. Um, and the other part is quite a lot of it is quite slow. Um, so I did have a uh, on my turn two, I think I was like, all right, this is, this is good. I'm going to swing around, turn this into hammer and anvil. Um, it was a table quarters deployment it's going to turn into hammer and anvil it's going to you know clear a bunch of stuff that was near my edge of the table and um, i was very happy with that game plan things went wrong i didn't kill what i was hoping to um and it was looking kind of bad but with how slow his stuff is um it was kind of stuck there a bit i ended up actually swinging it to dawn of war instead just you know completely pivoting spent my turn three just running away um, and was able to sort of clear the opposite corner of the table. And, um, and you know... Clearing this stuff with just mortal wound output, or is this also with charging? A um, bit of both. Um, so, like, the mortal wound output will do good. Charging in will we'll put a fair bit of damage in, and um, the swooping hawks do quite well in anything that's not in cover. Um, so when I was looking to um, have that big turn two and clear out most of the stuff at my end, that was with some charges, so there was some... Uh, Harlequin troops, some banshees in the Incarn, all all waiting for charges that turn. Maybe some spears as well. I think there's also merit to the mechanics to fight on death that Fabius Bile and most armies just generally have to follow. You fight on death model by model. Each model attacks basically what is its engagement range of. So if you have a unit kind of spread around or not base to base to base to base. You can probably charge the end of it and leave like that Viper trick you were talking about where the Viper pulls units in the wrong direction for their pile in to avoid how many models actually hit your unit back on fight on death. Is that something you ever were looking at or thinking about? I didn't make great use of that, but that is certainly, yes, yeah, something to consider if you can. Um, so I, I believe when they fight on death, they do get to make a Each model does get to make a pile in. They do each get to make a pile in, but it's model by model, so it's not like your whole unit can move. So you're not making space for yourself. You have to go around your own models, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it would it would be quite good to um, use things like wipers and stuff in that way. Yeah, um, I said I didn't in the game, but that that's a good thought. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things you don't think about until you have to get real creative, right? <laughs> mm. Um, cool. So let's, uh, appreciate your thoughts on chaos. Let's keep it rolling. Uh, what was your turn? Trace is about been doing a lot of work recently. Also, it's like more and more people get attracted to that, uh, faction. And I, I know we mentioned that it is kind of straightforward and it, it is straightforward, but it, you know, very powerful. Oh yeah. It's, it's one of the best armies at what it does for sure. And it's important to know how to fight against them and all the little t- tips and tricks you can do to mitigate that fight on death as best as possible. Um, but let's keep it rolling. Chris, what was your round three? Uh, so I played Tau in round three. You are really um, reading my mind with this. I was hoping you would say Tau. <laughs> yeah, I played uh, two matchups against Tau. Oh, um, a lot of experience here. How do you deal with getting shot off the table? <laughs> so my round three um, was quite a brutal round. Um, so this was a Dawn of War deployment. I went first, pushed up a little bit toward midboard terrain. And this was the case of my opponent not appreciating quite what Inari does. Um, you know, he doesn't know how to play against it. Fair enough nor to most people. I will say um, that's one of the advantages to playing Inari. Like, you do have a surprise factor, and I'm not calling you, like, a gotcha player in any sense. You may explain your rules in detail to all of your opponents before the game, but it's definitely a seeing-is-believing-first-time experiencing type of scenario. Well, it, it also plays radically different than what people's perception of it was from several years ago. So, you know, they think, uh, they just know it's not the same, but they're, if there's not enough of them on the table today to have any of that experience. So, you know, we say taking people by surprise, which is never what you want to do, but people may kind of do that to themselves because they just aren't familiar with it and they're going off of whatever memories they have locked away or what they read in a comment somewhere or something. Yeah, it's on, it's on your, your job. It's your onus as opponent to be a good sport and inform your opponent the rules before they fall face first into them. But it's on your opponent to do some homework themselves and know how to play the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is an interesting one, just as an aside, with Yanari. Um, giving your opponent takes backs and stuff. Um, so there was one point in the, the game where my opponent had a, uh, not this game, sorry, a different game. My opponent had a charge lined up against a warlock. Um, then they shot and killed a uh, warwalker next to the warlock. And I was like, all right, I'll teleport. You can come there and uh, block that charge off. And they're like, oh, oh no. And then I felt bad. And I was like, do you want to not shoot that? And he was like, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, it's, <laughs> it's definitely it's tricky hard. to navigate, right? Yeah. Um, That's some great sportsmanship there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that game, it's, it's particularly easy to be a good sport when um, the game's going very well for you. Um, so, Honestly, I think you know, one of those things is kind of like, before the game even begins, understand what kind of game you're going to have with your opponent. If I'm playing like uh, you know, top table type of thing, like, yeah, my army is made of, of kind of unconventional mechanics, right? So even though it's not a gotcha in the sense that my opponent knows I can do those rules, it's a bit of a gotcha in no one else does these rules, so my opponent may not be thinking about it. I think you need to be ahead of it, I guess, and understand, like, is it my opponent's total lack of experience with 40k that I'm taking advantage of, or is it my opponent slipped up in the moment that I'm taking advantage of? Because Richard Siegel slipping up in the moment, let's take advantage of that. He knows the rules, but random guy, maybe not. Maybe I don't want to pull that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, with the, with the tower game, um, so um, on his turn, he f- felt like he needed to push up and make something happen. He pushed up reasonably aggressively, and yeah, I, I killed everything. Um, <laughs> okay, I, so I'm, I'm gonna let's let's take it on a more conceptual level because this definitely requires your opponent has some modicum of respect for where your damage output is, which not everyone does, and they're they're gonna find out. But if they don't just walk into charge ranges of your army, how do you approach it? 
Um, we'll talk about that more with round round five because that that was a completely different round. Um, but for now, I'd just like to you know reflect on how how satisfying it was to just have my opponent remove all I mean, of their you, models. You got to do what your army is designed to do. That's always super satisfying, like a textbook game. Yeah, I think it was like nine crisis suits plus all their drones plus Shadow Sun and her drones and two hammerheads and half of Long Strike and twenty crew and fifteen fire warriors or something. But that was the turn two death count. Yep. <laughs> My God. Okay. <laughs> well, how do you even instruct that scenario? Your opponent just runs forward and stands in front of you and says, "Your turn." Yeah, pretty much. All right. All right. <laughs> let's, let's go to that round five Tau game. You know, uh, it seems like this one was a little bit closer. Yeah, um, so this was a really interesting game. Um, so uh, they're pretty traditional Tau lists, Tau Septs, couple of planes, um, Hammerhead, Long Strike, um, couple of crisis units and whatnot. Um, so it was table quarters deployment. He went first, you know, just bombed with a couple of planes, flew them off. Not much was happening. I pushed up a little bit, um, didn't do too much either. Um, so it's, it's pretty cagey at this point. Um, he pushed up a bit more with a big crisis unit and put his planes back in. Um, so this is where I made a mistake. Um, I pushed most of my army forward, wiped that crisis unit, wiped both planes, killed some crew, um, maybe a little bit of other stuff. Yeah, yeah some crew hounds as well. Um, and I was like, all right, I've had my huge turn. Everything's great. Um, but sometimes you forget exactly how easily Eldar die. And um, we were now going into his turn three, and he picked Kalyon, so he got ex- some exploding sixes, and he killed a lot back. I was still able to win just by, um, you know, tooth and clawing my way through some objectives. Um, you know, I've got my obsec warlock to, to pinch a few points um, on primaries and whatnot. Um, but, but that game was a great example of where I should have uh, trusted in the damage output of my units a little bit more, sent less forward. I still would have been able to clear everything that I needed to, um, but I would have had more left for the rest of the game. When you say trust the damage put of your, when you say trust the damage put of your units a little bit more, do you, what, what does that actually look like? Because I think you're describing a very common mistake. One I've made a lot is one unit you're not sure is going to get the job done when it comes to like trading a unit off an objective or something. So. Maybe you want to send two to make sure the play works and you don't just waste your turn. But sending two, now you're sending twice as many resources off to die. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, that is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, so I think in this particular case, um, and this is a game that was on stream and you can um, people can check it out if they want. Um, so I was looking to kill two planes, I think five main crisis unit with some drones. It had the feel and the pain from the ethereal. So it would also kill a few crew and stuff. Um, and I kind of sent pretty much everything forward. Um, you know, I was just thinking, all right, clear this. He'll kill some stuff. I'll keep pushing. Um, I think I didn't need to send the Incarn forward. Um, I think I had the plane sorted with my psychic output, the Shining Spears, and my shooting. Um, and my nine-man Harlequin troop unit. So I could have attacked with about six of them and kept them behind the cover. But I wanted to make sure I killed the crisis unit they were swinging at. So I put the other three on the cover. I was hoping to pile in away from it. It didn't quite work out that way um, due to yeah not not clearing whole squad with them. Um, so they were then vulnerable to being shot. But I think if I had just attacked with the six of them, um, they would have been safe. The Incarn could have stayed safe. And then I, I still would have been able to clear everything I needed to. 
And then because of this overcommitment, uh, you were overexposed, lost a whole bunch of stuff, and then had limping stragglers from units, basically, and played the game from there? Yeah, pretty much. So at that point, did you feel like you were losing and you were like scraping for points here, or did you feel like this is okay? It's a tough one because um, he had picked decisive action, um, aerospace, and another talent. I don't remember the name, but it's like t- killing three units in your um, um, in your philosophy. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what it's called. I think we struggle with that name every time it comes up on the stream. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's picked it against me before, but um, so he barely scored any points in the first couple of turns, right? Because two of his secondaries only score turn three, four, and five. Yeah, a lot of the Tau um, strategy is table your opponent points later. Yeah, so it was, I felt like I was well ahead because, you know, opponent hadn't scored his points yet. Um, I felt like I still probably had enough um, to, you know, just nab some objectives and, and sort of play the points. Um, but yeah, it, was, it wasn't comfortable. I think I won by about eight in the end. Not bad, not bad. So uh, is the Tau strategy, I guess, if you could kind of summarize it, basically... Try to get them to come close to you, charge them, and finish it out from there, whether that's getting them to overcommit aggressively early, like in round three, or if it's sneaking up the table and finding opportunities to hit them. Yeah. Um, so the tower secondaries aren't amazing, um, which is sort of the one saving grace in this matchup. Um, so this is one where you really, really want to take interrogation because you want that 15. You, you can't settle for a 12 on Ritual. Um, you want your 15 for interrogation. You want to take banners, probably, unless the mission's really bad for banners. Um, and then uh, you might have to... I think I ended up taking behind enemy lines in, in that one. Um, so behind enemy lines, you're probably going to be able to scrape a few points by throwing some banshees forward. Um, you know, later on in the game, you might be able to, you know, start just throw a viper forward, teleport the incarn at some point. But your other two secondaries can score quite well playing passive. Um, and the tower player is probably going to can't sit too far back. Um, so, yeah, you sort of make them do something, and then you want to really punish them for doing that. Yeah, take advantage of their weak secondary game, basically, and force them to come at you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's vitally important to always be threatening um, all by one of the objectives. You're probably not threatening their home objective, but you cannot let them just um, comfortably take it. you mean? Right, charge what's on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If they just stick uh, a unit of crew on one of the mid-board objectives, you cannot let them hold it. So um, let's move on to round four. Appreciate your Tau talk. Uh, what was round four like for you? Um, so round four was probably the best matchup possible for me. I was playing against a uh, coteries of the Homunculi army. Okay. Um, so a bunch of Talos, a bunch of Grotesques, a bunch of Racks. Um, it's, that's just going to be dream matchup. I mean, um, this, this is an yeah. army that has to walk into all of your threat ranges and it tries to stat check you via durability and you, I assume, pass the stat check with flying colors. Yeah. Um, it also helps that my shooting, which is, it's not as, I'm certainly not a strong shooting army, but it is against that. Swooping Hawks and the Scatter Lasers on the transports and whatnot, um, they all pick up racks at a great rate. Yeah, all of a sudden um, your shooting actually performs too. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you've, you, Plenty of damage, you can easily kill all their stuff, and uh, also having fight first army wide, um, you know, is yeah, surprisingly good into a combat only army. <laughs> um, you know, it uh, it's it's a very one sided matchup. Well, there's there's a few more armies I want to hit on, and we we are 
not running out of time, but I want to make sure we cover all our bases here. So let's hop on over to our favorite friends, the Imperium. Um, there's a couple armies on this side of the world that we need to visit. Let's talk about Space Marines. That's like half of the audience, you know. We can't neglect those fellas. So Space Marines are in a rough spot. Let's not let's not pretend they're not. Are there specific ways Space Marines or specific chapters of Space Marines that maybe will give you fits or are there things Space Marine players can do against you should they come up against an Eldar-style army? I know you're designed to kill Armor of Contempt with all this high AP everywhere and it really takes away the, the wind from their sails with this new data sl- or the new Nephilim pack. But uh, what can they do? Let's start there. Um, well, let's Before we go to Space Marines, let's just go to, in general, um, the best thing against... Um, that this Yunari army is just having a strong passive secondary game. Um, anyone who can sit well back and score really well is is in an amazing spot. It is quite hard for me to, to deal with, and this is something you touched on um, in the previous part. So the the thing is, the more passive the secondary game, the better it is. So if it relies on, on standing on mid-board objectives, that's at least something the Yunari army can continually pressure. Um, but if you don't even have to do that, like if you're Dark Angels and you can score all your points by just sitting on a home objective, um, that's really tough for the Inari to compete with. Because at the end of the day, you're a you're a fast combat army, but you're not like starting your deployments on charge your opponent's deployments on fast for the most part. So you do have to come into midfield, eat retaliation, and then start launching attacks onto your opponent's side. And if your opponent can retaliate effectively, that's where it gets hairy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, is there um, any type of Space Marine chapter, I guess, that would cause you fits aside from Dark Angels? Because they can camp really well, but I don't know that they can stop your train from rolling right into them, necessarily. Yeah, um, on the whole, I don't think so. Um, I, it would mostly come down to a faction-specific um, secondaries, and I can't remember all the different Space Marines' particular secondaries. actually have quite a good defensive secondary. It lets them camp. They're probably one of the strongest defensive Marines that nobody talks about. And they have a lot of interesting mechanics, like through 2d6 heroic interventions, group overwatch, things like that, to potentially mess you up. Yeah, that, that could definitely be a problem. Yep. Um, but the most commonly played Space Marines are Blood Angels. Um, that's quite a good matchup. That was sort of one of the reasons that we were thinking of bringing Inari. Um, oh. Them to shred. Yeah. Um, Blood Angels is definitely one of the most popular Space Marine factions. And poor Paul over here. Where's the results, Paul? Yeah, yeah, I don't really you on the podcast. I could interview. Well, the only thing that you really hope for is that you know your two plus armor save that you're you're going to be pushing up works. And against an army like this, you know it's like you're not wearing it. (laughs) Just go in like your orcs. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about sisters. They are an army that does produce that defensive secondary game plan. They kind of want you to walk into their the midfield, and then they get to murder you for walking in the midfield. Is this what you would call a bad match, or is this? Is there a way around Sisters? Excuse me. Yeah, Sisters seems rough. Um, I haven't actually played the matchup, but it'd definitely be one in a team format we'd be looking to avoid. Um, Which is so, interesting, I'll just add, because Eldar typically are fine, like Craftworld, Eldar, traditional Halo Doom, that stylist. That's fine playing into Sisters, in my opinion. But um, Yeah, my WTC Eldar list was like specifically designed to beat Sisters. Right, right, right. So this is you know, a bit of a better in some things, worse against others types of things. Really interesting in team formats. But let's say you're interested in playing Inari in singles and you're just stuck with Sisters. Where do you start? Yeah, so the biggest thing that this list has going against Sisters is it has a couple of transports. Um, transports are extremely helpful against Sisters because if you can hide them somewhere in the midboard, uh, they can only kill them in the fight phase, um, which lets your unit get out. Um, 
and you know you can make great use of your emergency disembarkations. Um, if if they kill it, you might you know disembark six, six inches forward, um, and then you can actually start to threaten their backfield. So those are the kind of plays you need to make um, as the Inari player um, to to really bring the fight to the sisters. Um, so you're going to push forward most of your stuff. Um, some of it you're going to make sure is just outside of their threat ranges. The good thing about sisters is normally that's 24 inches on the dot. You go just outside 24, you're good. Um, normally it's not too important to hide things. Um, so, you know, just just be very, very focused on being careful with where you go. Your transports, as I said, you can go a little bit further forward. Um, and, yeah, just make sure you pressure the opponent. You can't just let the game happen. Um, yeah, sisters will sit there all day right back at you. Absolutely. If you just wait for them to come out and make a mistake, a good sisters player will not do that. They will just um, quite happily have a 10-minute game where both players, say, pass the turn and uh, the sisters player will easily win that game. So this kind of goes back to part one, um, where if your opponent has a sit-there passive secondary plan, you have to get aggressive and you acknowledge this is definitely one of the most challenging things to do with Yanari. What do you look for when you're trying to get aggressive? How, what avenues and footholds on the table do you try to, to make happen? Yeah, so the biggest thing I was talking about is your, your opponent's threat ranges. Um, just being very, like, pushing that as much as you can. Like, you look where their Zephyrum are or potentially Repentia, um, and you measure out exactly where they can go, and you, you know, you go right up into that. Um, and then, you know, you, you'll probably go further than that with your transport. So you might chuck a Star Weaver a fair bit forward, more further forward on one flank, and you might chuck the Wave Serpent a fair bit further forward on the other flank. You don't want to put them next to each other, or you'll have one Zephyrum unit get valve after and just sort of kill it all. Um, but if you if you can spread that out, um, you can, um, yeah, start to really pressure your opponent in a way that isn't that easy for them to deal with in a lot of cases. So basically, and I'm assuming you want to be out of line of sight here, so multi-melter retributors don't kill your transport and then repent your Zephyr and kill your unit inside. You want to make them use their combat to kill your transports, and then you get out, your units are all still intact. And because you're pushed up further than what their threat range is, your threat range now is projecting onto their objectives and things like that. Yep, absolutely. That makes sense. I like that. So it's a very good plan for doing this. One thing I like to do when I have to get aggressive at these armies, with Eldar specifically, is I like to use things like three-man bikes, whether it's Windriders or Reavers, or even Vipers can do it in a pinch, where I use these things to move 22 inches forward and move block where like the Repentia would want to get out and move in advance to try to make them navigate around the jet bikes. So it costs them like six, seven inches of movement to get around that little roadblock, which might reduce their threat range to allow me to get further up the table than I normally would otherwise. Now, it's a little more challenging because Zephyrm fly, but you can move block fly. That's something we teach uh, how to do in the war room really effectively. Is that is that something you ever consider with this army? Yeah, absolutely. And um, Banshees are great for that too. We, we talked about this a bit earlier. You go in and kill something and then move block something else. Um, so yeah, you do that as, as much as you can. All right, so that makes sense for sisters. Um, is there anything like they can just shut down your psychic secondary potentially with her sister denies? Do you switch that up at all because of sisters or do you just try to muscle through it and hope for the best? Yeah, that's one where you actually might consider not taking a psychic secondary. Um, yeah, it just depends on whether you feel comfortable taking enough other ones. Um, so it's certainly a spot where I'd probably be taking the Warp Ritual because that's the one you're looking to only get off three times rather than trying to continually interrogate um, something. 
Um, but but yeah, like maybe you can take banners. Maybe they have enough no prisoners points. Like even if it's eighty wounds, you might just decide that's worth it. Um, and maybe take behind enemy lines. Um, so that you know maybe you end up taking those three. Um, you know you have to take the fight to the opponent um, before anything's happened. You know that you can't play passive. That's just not an option. So um, you, you certainly can't afford to take secondaries that um, lean into that even further. All right, let's keep it moving. Um, another army, which maybe maybe you don't have a great answer for, but I don't know that anybody really does. How do you handle the Necrons right now in this day and age with their score 100 or, or else kind of plan? So the one nice thing about the Necrons is they do have to push forward to score those points, and you can just wipe them. Um, so it's really difficult for the Necron player to balance how much they push forward. Um so yeah, it's it's a really tricky back and forth. It's it's hard to say how you're going to play it in general because you you have to sort of play uh, you know against each other a little bit with who's being more aggressive. You don't want to be too aggressive, or they can you know get lots of charges onto you, wipe out a bunch of your units, but you don't want to be too defensive, or you won't be in a position to to push onto them. Um, so you've got to yeah just be really careful, be really mindful, and. Uh, look at how the game's playing out. Um, the Incarn can be amazing in this matchup because um, they will often be pushing like some scarabs or something way forward, uh, which lets you, you know, go in, charge with the Incarn, wipe something, something else kills the scarabs, the Incarn teleports back to safety. Um, so that can really help. We've seen some Necron players opt to even, maybe not even take the Silent King. You know, or some that saw the Silent King, but have more uh, of a shooting element. They have at least a fire base of destroyers or something in the in the army. Versus, you know, what we were seeing several months ago. Uh, do you is there one of those variants that you would like to play against the least? Um, I think that builds that have katans in them. Look, I think they're just worse in general. Um, I I think they're pretty much worse in every matchup except sisters. Um, and as a Yanari player, I very much want to see those Gatans, um, because you, you can do mortal wounds in the movement phase with Hawks, heaps in the psychic phase, you can do it in the shooting, charge phase with, um, the Harlequin troops, and then obviously you can do damage in the fight phase. So you're um, so one-rounding some of those, and you're not, not even worried about it. Yeah, you, you could, like, if someone brought three Gatans, you could kill them all in one turn. That wouldn't be hard if, you know, if they push them forward enough. Um, so, yeah. If if someone's brought no katans, it's going to be a lot harder. Um, their army's just full of full of obsec um, units. Um, so yeah, that's definitely going to be tougher. But you know, the game plan is still roughly the same. Um, yeah, the thing with Necrons is you have to get hyper aggressive into them, and your army's already on that plan. So at least it's natural for you. Um, let's keep it rolling. A uh, couple more armies we want to hit up. Let's talk about Tyranids. Everyone loves Tyranids. They're good. They're pretty good. Well, that's the thing. Tyranids now, people are like, oh man, Tyranids, oh, their secondary game is so weak and their army is just, you know, not what it used to be, but yet still winning lots of games out there, you know, so you're going to see We actually just did a a tier list, and this is obviously kind of opinion-based on the Art of War channel. John and I did it, John Lennon, and he was of the opinion Tyranids are the second strongest army in the game, S-tier, just insane. I'm like, they have like no secondary game, and he's like, it doesn't matter. I think that all, a lot of this talk, though, is, is a little bit of wishful thinking. <laughs> Their secondary game doesn't have to be as, um, I guess, as easy to achieve as some of these other factions if they can still you know, do impressive things on the table and be there 
all five turns to get the points that they need to win the game. Well, kind of like Tau as well. Let's let's just murder the other person and points come later. Yeah, and they got the power to do it. So, I'm, point being, you're going to face Tyranids in, in, I think, any extended tournament, you know, especially probably in a five rounder, definitely in a eight, nine rounder. So, what's your plan going into that, Chris? Yeah, Tyranids is a really interesting matchup. Um, so, in preparation for WTC, I did actually play against uh, Simon uh, Gojkovic's um, Tyranids twice. If anyone doesn't know who Simon is, they can ask Siegler. I'm sure he'll remember. <laughs> He's one of the few yeah. people who's beaten the robot in tournaments. <laughs> oh, Hattie, I'd uh, almost forgotten that. Um, sorry. Um, it sounded, yeah. sounded like you, yeah, you had to dig it up. Yeah, definitely not something on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's a really, really interesting matchup. Um, so the first time we played it, he was on a fairly classic list with sort of quite a few warriors, bigger units, um, and not too many griblies. Um, and I found I was able to do reasonably well in that one because um, you, you do have the damage needed to, to clear whatever Tyranids they push forward. Um, so the Yinkan was able to go kind of nuts in that matchup uh, the first time. Um, one quite funny thing is he can teleport to Spore Mines when they blow up. Um, so even though they don't count for um, mission objectives, they do count as a unit dying. Oh, so your incarn can trigger off spore mines. Help spore mines. That's yeah. And WTC ruled that if a unit went in range of spore mines, they had to blow up. I don't believe that's how it normally is played. Well, rules is written. It's a uh, may. I don't know why WTC yeah. just changed the rules, but that's what they do sometimes. They, they are a bit like that. Um, but it was quite interesting because it meant I had the option at any point I wanted to teleport him to some spore mines. Like I could. Um, fight with the Incarn, fight with something else, consolidate into range of a Spore Mine unit, guarantee they blow up, and then teleport away. Um, so that was that was very interesting. Um, he, you know, the Incarn will do an amazing job of tearing Zonethropes and uh, Neurothropes up with the ignoring invulnerable saves. Um, so, yeah, very interesting matchup. I lost it the second time we played, A, because I think he was a bit more used to how the Inari played, knew what to do against the Incarn. Um, but also B, his list was a bit different. It was what he actually brought to WTC, which had some more smaller units in there. He had a bunch of gargoyles. He had um, the uh, ability to spawn those rippers with that gestation sack thing. He had a bunch of chaff, which was able to block my big units from charging his key units. I wasn't able to like get charges onto warriors or get charges onto his zone throats or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, when he had enough chaff to block me, um, that made the matchup really hard from the Inari side. So I think that's something Tyranid players can uh, look to focus on. Um, is there? Are you concerned about the mortal output that Tyranids can do because they just walk up the field, board control, and, and can really lay you in, move block you with spore mines, make you take mortals if you walk through them, Zonethropes just add up, Harpies also are tremendously bad for Eldar historically, Tyrants have the tools to hint, to give you fits. What is your answer around that? Yeah, so harpies certainly, uh, yeah, don't don't like them at all. Um, and yeah, like biovores, laying sport mines and stuff. That is all the problem. Um, so small bricks of small mines aren't actually too much of a problem though, because um, remember, you know, you get plus one here if they're below full strength. So like if they were, you know, if you had one biovore say, and it just dropped two spore mines. Um, if I charged my big Harlequin brick through that, I'm actually buffing my damage output. 
Yeah, losing like um, one to two models to yeah, get um, plus one to hit on so the attacks. That that bit's fine, but if they can really stack spore mines, that is going to be a big problem. That's going to be very difficult for the Inari player to deal with. Um, can you use Hawk Mortals to uh, fight them? I don't think so. I think that would blow up first. I think you would both yeah, um, Mortals. That wouldn't work, yeah. Not 100% sure on that, but I don't believe that would work. Uh, yeah, so you'd have to be really careful trying to play around that. Um, the firing is a big consideration, but you do at least have the too. tools to kill it. Um, the Yenkan is always a big threat, so the firing kills something. Um, the Yenkan teleports around there. The firing runs away. But yeah, it's not going to be far enough. And then they can catch the um, firing. So, so that is... It could be physically protected, though. Like if a clever tuned player overruns back behind yep, a big absolutely brick of warriors, right. yep. um, not so that could, be able to could get definitely to it. come up. It, it's a very nuanced matchup, I think. Um, it's, it's about the, the Tyranid player making use of the, the random crap that they have. So, you know, getting spore mines going, um, getting things like gargoyles or, or spawning random units, making great use of screening, move blocking, and just, yeah, body blocking charges onto the important units. Okay. Um, one more army I want to hit before we talk about, um, I guess, the big bad menace on the block leagues of OTAN and what you plan to do about that. Um, demons, my personal favorite, you know? What about them? They're, they're new, yeah, they're doing so stuff, they're winning games out there. It um, was a little unfair that they no longer have invulnerable saves. It was nice when um, both the Incarn and Harlequin troops could ignore those. No, no, it's not unfair. Well, I think it's perfectly reasonable fair, and balanced. But I want more nice things, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, so this <laughs> so is another I. one like Chaos Space Marines I haven't looked into in as much detail. Um, though I think it seems reasonable for the Inari on, on paper in that you can definitely take down these big demons. Um, yeah, the, all the different ways you have to do mortal wounds in all the different phases means, um, I think, I think these big demons are going to drop really quickly. Um, I think the small demons will drop quite quickly as well. Um, flamers. Yeah. Demons are actually very vulnerable to mortals because yeah, they're fairly, elite, yeah, things changed a lot with the new code, actually, they didn't they? Um, so flamers are probably the most concerning thing. So I played against flamers. The um, creations of bile opponent I had had some flamers, but um, I was very relieved to learn at the start of the game that they don't get to do their demon appear close to you. Um, deep strikes. Yeah. So I was yeah. thrilled to and learn that. Uh, I, I didn't think that was, the, didn't realize that was the case until we started the game. Um, that would be really painful to play against from a Unari perspective. Um, and, that's because your flamers in general are so yeah exactly if you, if you don't screen them out properly it's oof, you, you're going to be losing valuable units uh, and you're going to be losing them very quickly um so that seems like a headache the rest of the matchup seems not too bad it's interesting as a demon player when i think about a traditional eldar matchup my plan immediately goes to trapping them in close combat and stealing their objectives and just generally kind of forcing my way into their castle and and murdering them. Like, yeah, you have your mortal wound output when I am trapped in close combat. You can shoot into combat if I'm trapping vehicles. But that's way less damage than if I'm just standing in front of your army. So I'll, I will choose that route through corn units trying to trap you in combat, Scarbrand, that kind of thing. But against you, I'm probably 180-ing that plan because you'll yeah, think so. if I get that near you. It's really interesting. I, I think the way I would approach it as a team player is more like trying to control your secondary game because it's so soft, and then um, look to trade onto your primaries yep. and beat yep, you by a little reasonable. bit on secondaries. Just to try to get ahead on points in case they do some things, you know, 
like throw big demons in your face. You know, we guaranteed charges. I mean, I shouldn't say guaranteed. Pretty reliable charges. I, th- I think one important thing to to remember is that demon list can mean such different things. Um, most of the most of the demon players around my area That's true. have involved, you know, four grade demons or whatever. Um, and that's, That's what so I was talking about when they're going to throw, they so can like, throw yeah, all these great demons either turn, you know, turn two, turn three, you know, depending on how they, they do it and, uh, you know, really get in there and get their guaranteed charges off to wreck what could be critical pieces for you. Now, granted, you have a lot of units. Are there, like, what are your most critical units that they could attack? Yeah, so, like, if they hit the big Harlequin troop, that would be a big deal. But that's never going to happen. Um, uh, you know, I'm not... Yeah, exactly. So, so something like the the... Um, big red demon spam. I don't think I'd have too much trouble with because I do have the output to deal with it. Um, but a different style demon list, um, yeah. Nick's Nick's plan sounds quite um, quite reasonable, and um, that would be not too easy for me to deal with as a Zinari player. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's transition towards Leagues of Otan for the end of this conversation. I don't know if you've read the book or I followed the internet drama around their nerfs or should they be nerfed and that they did get nerfed. All that jazz. Um, they, I've played a game against them with Eldar and it was, it was like, it came down to literally the last move. I barely won, but seems like it's pretty in line in power is, with the rest of the game now. So that's pretty good. Um, they obviously shoot super hard. They're pretty durable. Yeah. So I've, I've looked at them a, a bit, sort of followed a bit. Um, I think that Eldari in general are going to do a lot better against them than most other armies. Um, like you don't need to be leagues of Otan to kill Eldar. Anything kills Eldar. Um, yeah, so last guns, bolters. You know, it's um, so <laughs> you're right. That's what I've yeah. Like in the um, open, so like, I'm, I'm not either way. Don't matter. So concerned about their ridiculous damage output. Um, I'm yeah, quite happy with the fact that um, I can stay hidden, pump out most of the Votan stuff. Actually, dies reasonably easily. Um, so I I think that seems like an all right matchup. From what I understand, Votan don't have amazing secondaries. Um, and the, they probably can't no, take a psychic really secondary, don't. so uh, that that's a sort of leg up that I might have there. I might might force them to come to me. So I, I think that wouldn't be too bad a matchup. Interesting. It's it's funny how the the mighty falls. Do you do you think prior to the nerfs you would have been sweating um, this matchup when they had like five hundred more points I, like I in the army? No, like I hadn't delved deeply into it enough to know how broken they are. Um, All I know is. I would have felt a lot better playing Eldar in general, or you know, any kind of Eldari than almost any other faction. Um, so it's like that's because all their strengths don't really matter. Like they're auto wounding. Yeah, exactly. So it's like maybe they still beat. Maybe they're so broken they still beat Eldar. Um, But like, if that was indeed the case, then like every other faction may as well not even bother setting up. Well, Chris, thanks a lot for coming on and sharing your insights with us through both parts of these episodes. And congratulations on the success you've had with this list, this non-traditional list. Thanks so much. Yeah, very, very happy to come on and really enjoyed the chat. Awesome. Yeah, thank you again, Chris. You've been quite eloquent. You've got me inspired to play Inari now. I'm literally opening up my codex and reading through it as we speak. Um, I'm really excited for it. So, Subscribers, and, really uh, appreciate y'all tuning in. We'll see y'all next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.